We are encouraged to carefully follow the example. The question is, what example are we going to follow in the life that we choose to live? Paul, as he is writing to the young preacher Timothy in the second letter to Timothy and in the third chapter, starting at verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, as uh, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. Persecution, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Again, take time to reread verses 10 and 11. Look at the things that Paul is reminding Timothy that indeed will be a part of a life in serving God. And it may be in ways that we do not fully understand or accept along the way. Yes, though, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And always that reminder throughout the scriptures of their value, of their instruction, the reminder to us that they are given for a particular purpose, and that's for us. And that we are to learn lessons from them of a lifestyle, a manner of life, falling short. You read the life of Paul and you read of his great strong faith, but his concern as well. His concern about preaching the gospel to others and then he himself being a castaway. So we have examples of what it is or the type of life that God wants us to live. And you recall, if you read the daily devotional for today, the two little illustrations that we have that we have to get to look at along our ways. How many times are we like Israel, standing before the Red Sea, and what we want to hear is someone say, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Wouldn't you love to have been there and see that sea depart, uh, separate? I mean, what a blessing that had to have been to, to see that concept. Listen, you're afraid of what's coming. You're fearful about what lies ahead. But you just simply need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We want those great mighty deeds, if you will. We want that parting of the sea and saying, okay, God, I see that you're concerned about us. You're working your will out in our lives. But over in Second Kings, how well do we do? 
There was the case of the lepers. In the life that they were living, there was a famine in the land. And Israel was suffering as well. And they're concerned about what's going on. And they're making petitions along the way. But the two lepers, the lepers that were there, do we have that understanding? They're, they're having to wrestle with life. And they're not seeing this parting of the Red Sea. They're not seeing an answer coming their way. And that may fit us more than anything else along the way. We're living life, we're having problems, difficulties that we're encountering, not knowing which way to go. And the leper's having to conclude. Well, the conclusion is, we're going to die one way or the other. We cannot go into the, the city. If we do, they'll kill us. If we stay out here, we're going to die. We can go to the enemies, or they may kill us, or they may not. Saying that to say that they did not see the working of God until after it had taken place. When they finally decided to go to the Syrians, they get there and they're gone. And how many times would we respond as they did? Let's enjoy what we got. All this food and all the goods and everything else. But come to the conclusion, it's not right. But the thought of, again, we oftentimes want that mountaintop experience. We want that visible, if you will, indication that God is actively working in our life. And it's hard for us to deal on the other side of believing and knowing that God is actively working in our life. It's just that we cannot see how it's being done or the way that it is being done or for the purpose that it is being done. You go back to Israel of old again. As they left the land of Egypt, and after they had passed through the Red Sea, and as time unfolded, they'd become discouraged again of trusting God. I will give you the promised land, and this is what the promised land will consist of. And the spies, it is exactly as God has stated. And how many times that we're not careful? Again, this is given for our illustration or for our learning and for our instruction that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. We cannot take the land. The two reasons given is one is the first one is the biggest one. We are grasshoppers in their sight. So we know that they see us as grasshoppers. They had already forgotten about God. And the promise that God had given. And they suffer the consequence. All the adults of that generation, save Joshua and Caleb, would die in the wilderness. But you also have to deal with the fact that for those 40 years that they traveled in the wilderness, two factors are involved. One is, while they were in the wilderness, they were constantly guided by God. The pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud in the day. Whenever the pillar moved, the people moved. They were still protected and guided by God, even though they would, the adult generation would die in the wilderness. 
Two is, if they had all, of, of all of those adults who did not believe had died immediately, what would have happened to the children? They were able to raise their children to give them the instruction that they needed so that as they died off, that they would be ready to enter into the promised land. And again, all of this is given for us that we might learn from it. Ours is that trusting God, which is hard to do. I think about, again, the Israelites as they're going to go into the promised land at the Jordan River, at the height of its flood season. However terrible that may have been and looked like. You know, again, today, if you go over there, you look at the Jordan River, you would never think of it being at a flood level because they've taken all the water out of the Jordan River, basically, and they use it for irrigation. So when we crossed the Jordan River, it was a trickle. It's a little stream. You could walk across it. But at that time, it was at the height of the flood season. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River, and they call the priest to carry the ark. And told the priests to lead the way. And I've always been intrigued by that concept in that statement to them. That the priest carrying the ark. Again, I've been in uh, Illinois at the height of the flood of 93 in St. Louis. And I'm telling you, that's a body of water. It's indescribable how wide that river was. I remember seeing a junkyard out in about five miles from the river. And they had a pole about 30 feet high, and on the top of this pole they had an old car. I think it was a Studebaker or something like that on that pole. During the height of the flood, the flood season, the water was at the wheels of that car. Massive body of water. And those priests were told to walk out to to lead the people across the Jordan River. And as the scriptures say that that water did not part until the soles of the priest hit the water. They're walking out into the floodwaters. And that water did not part until the soles of the priest touched it. Faith. Written for our instruction that we, through the patience of the scriptures, might have hope in the life that we live. That we might have what God would have us to know. That these scriptures were given by inspiration of God. They're given for us. That we might learn from them of having a trust in God. We read his scriptures. We know what they say. We can start in Genesis 1 and you go through Revelation 22. And you can know of what God is or the nature of God. You can know of his power and what he's been able to do. The power of his creation. He's describing the earth as his footstool. That he brings the sun to rise and the sun to set. All the power that is there. You can read the scriptures that we've looked and some of those that we mentioned and others that are given as well. And as I read through, I'm constantly reminded of how, if you will, how fickle human beings' faith is. Elijah challenges 450 prophets of Baal, successfully defeats them, and has, and has them killed. Great victory. 
the next chapter. Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow night, Elijah's life will be gone. And he flees. And then he believes that he is the only one left to serve God. And God, this is, might as well take his life. Who did he just previously to that? What did he proclaim? God is. God is in control. God hears the prayers of his servants. He heard the prayer of Elijah. And he answered it mightily. And then immediately he forgets. And believes that he's the only one left. And he might as well have his life taken. But if he is the only one left, which he was not. But if he was the only one left. He was a spokesman for God. He still had a job to do. And that's one of those passages that I say that, no, Elijah did not know how to count. Couldn't add the figures together. He counted one and quit. God says, Elijah, you missed 700,000. Well, there's quite a difference between one and 700,000. Elijah thinks there's only one. But there's 700,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. We at times may have that feeling that we're the only ones left. You look around, and again, we've talked about it in previous times. I mean, you look around, and how many have you known who were servants of God, who later on in life, for one reason or another, who have walked away from God? Or who have changed the teachings of God, which is the same thing as walking away from God. I know that that's what the Bible teaches, but that's not, well, that's how the Bible reads. But that's not really what it is teaching. There's another way that you can look at things, and it works out better for us if you look at this new way of considering what's out there. Wow. Wow. The scriptures are reminding us there is no tampering with God's word. There have been those who have destroyed the word of God. Kings. Only to have the prophet come back and says, write it again. I'll write it again and I'll give you some more to say on it. God has always been there in our life. These were written for us, and as you look at the New Testament as well, that reminder time and time again, we fall, we falter along the way. We have that opportunity to repent and to come back. But we are encouraged along the way to, for us to remember God has never left us. We have the example to follow. Any one of the Old Testament that's written for us as well, we're reminded to look at those and look at the example of what they went through. We're reminded in Hebrews 3 to look at the example of the Israelites again. And why did they not enter the, the promised land? Because of a lack of faith in God. And he warns them, be careful that you do not follow that same example. And why could they not enter the promised land? Because they did not trust God. We're talking about an eternal home. They were looking for that physical promised land. We're looking for a spiritual promised land. And to believe again, 
that you could have for them all that they did have, the prophets. And that we can have all that we do have, the prophets in their writings, the writings of the apostles. We can have the printed word of God. We can have free access to it. And it is possible that we can not enter into that promised land as we lack faith. We like to look with the physical eye. It's easier to walk by sight than it is by faith. But why? I watched a number of musicians, uh, uh, those that do the magic work, deception of the eye, the sly of hand. So why do we believe what we see more than what we know to be true with the unseen, and that is the Almighty God? Do we not trust him? Has he ever deceived us? You're going to have trials and tribulations. You're going to go through persecution. All those who desire to live godly, what? Will be persecuted. And we think, well, I'm not being persecuted as they were. We may not be. But we're being persecuted. Faithfulness to God is being challenged. And the scriptures clearly remind us the dangers come from within or from without, and the dangers come from within. So we're reminded as Paul was writing to Timothy there. Every scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every scripture is God-breathed. That's quite a statement. That's the challenge to us to be reminded of. Know that what we have and what we read is God-breathed words. They come from God. There's a power there that is unparalleled by anything that man has ever devised or written. And everything that man has devised or written, as you look at it, or they'll be honest, will tell you that all the basic principles of life are found within the pages of God's Word. You simply take the Sermon on the Mount, and if you follow its teachings, you will have what you need. This is the ungodly in the world. These are those who have denied the existence of God or the existence of God's Word, but who will acknowledge that the Sermon on the Mount has the best principles to live by. Where do they get that concept? And why do we struggle at times in that desire to follow it? They give us hope that we, through the patience and the comforts of the Scriptures, in Romans 15, verses 3 and 4, might have hope. These things are written for us, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You look at those of old. You look at Moses. You look at the seriousness of the life he lived the consequences of decisions that he made, his striking the rock when he was told to speak to the rock, taking glory for himself rather than giving it to God, being told that he would not enter into the promised land. But who appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? 
may not enter the physical promised land, but he received a spiritual reward. If I miss the physical promised land, whatever I may think that may be, I do not want to lose the spiritual promised land. Because I know from what I read, what I observe, what I'm being told by those who are, are ungodly anyway, this world is decaying. This universe is decaying. So why am I concerned about that which is going to decay and fade away and not be concerned about that which is spiritual that will never decay? So I can draw encouragement from those. Try to learn the lessons, but we have that tendency of repeating those. And, uh, and oftentimes it's later on. It's hard at times for us to be reminded or as children to be reminded as parents are teaching us that oftentimes what they're teaching us is what they had already gone through. And you want to spare them some of that. But some of us are hard-headed enough that we insist on experiencing that ourselves. But they're there to help. And that reminder again out of Second Kings is simply because, again, that I do not see how God is working goodwill for his people when they're surrounded by the enemy, when there's a famine in the land, and they are about to perish, how God is working good in their life. And that sometimes happens to us in our life. Sometimes things that happen to us, things that we go through in the trial or the tribulation in the physical realm, and we know that God works all things to good for those who love the Lord and to those who are called according to his purpose. And we're thinking, how is that good? How does that work out for good? How does the loss of physical health work for good? How does the loss of a physical child work for good? And all up and down the line we can go with things. And I need to be reminded that God's definition of good may not be the same definition I give for good. And guess which one will reign supreme? It's be God's definition. He works it for good. We've lived life long enough, and as we're, even as young ones as we grow, we, we see things that we may have seen bad at the time. And he says, yeah, but good came out of that. It did work for good. A lot of times it helped me draw closer to God. When you reach a point that there's no way this is going to work out in the physical realm. This is no way I can see how this works for good. But it always has. And it always will. God's will will always be done. And he's working it for our good. He is trying to help us to learn to separate from this life. Which we have become very attached to. In order for us to prepare for a spiritual life. Of which there will be no regrets. Be no remorse. 
be no sorrow. Read Revelation 21 and 22 and catch that glimpse of heaven again. No tears will be there. No more crying, no more suffering, no more loss of life. We do get attached to this life. And at times we are given reminders for us to learn how to separate from that. As the lepers understood, listen, we're going to do what we can do. If we lose our life, we lose our life. Is that not what we need to do? We need to do what we can do. If we lose our life, we've lost our life. The physical life. I just want to be able to be doing the the spiritual things that lead to the spiritual life. And I get to wrestle with that. We all get to wrestle with that. We're trying to learn what it is that God would have us to do. Carefully following the examples that are given. They're good and bad. Don't follow the bad examples. Learn from those. But even in the good examples, the good people that we can, we can, we can follow. Paul. I'm afraid after I preach the gospel to others that I myself may be a castaway. Who would have thought Paul would have ever thought that? Even make that statement. But the danger is real. Each one has to look at their own life. To preach the gospel, teach the gospel, share the gospel, encourage others to become children of God, encourage them to lead the life of God, and if not careful, could forfeit the own soul. Sometimes it's simply based on the fact that let him who stand take heed, lest he fall. Be careful. Understand how God is working. The only way we do is by spending that time with God's word. All of it. Learning from it. Desiring to do the things that would be pleasing to him. God always has an invitation. Open to all. And always open. He always bids for those who want to come to be able to do just that. The question that time or that's in the invitation song is why not tonight? What do we hope to gain by a further delay? What do we think is going to change if we do not change our life when we know we need to? So God offers that opportunity. An opportunity is given this evening for one to do just that, to respond to it. To renew that life in Christ Jesus, if that be that need. To ask for the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, if that be that need. But to know that now is the day of salvation, now is the time to respond. Delay just brings about death. So as you look at your life this evening, where is it? As you listen to the words as we sing and teach one another in our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, well, why not tonight? If there's a need, if we could assist you, if we could help you, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.